This is episode 501 of the Pixelated Sausage Podcast for Monday, July 23rd, 2018, a.k.a. the day before Nomad's Next comes out. I'm so excited. Who am I? I'm Mark Cushnes, your host, with the most love for Nomad's Sky. Now, I'm sure there are people who love it more, but I really enjoyed my time with the launch version of No Man's Sky on PlayStation 4. It's probably the game I've played most on that system, but now it's coming to Xbox One, and it's going to have all the updates that have come previously, and the new next update, and I can't be more excited. I'm going to play that game probably more than any other game this year, and I know people still don't like it, but that's fine. You can like what you like, I'll like what I like. But I don't have anything to talk about regarding that right now because it's not out yet. And I haven't played it, obviously. But I'm going to be picking it up on Xbox, even though I already have it on PS4. And we get all the updates for free because I like my Xbox. I'm an Xbox person. I love the controller. You want to know one of the most irrational purchases or things that I have? I have a second uh, Elite controller. Why? I just I want to have that spare. I'm not. I would never let anyone else use it. If somebody came over and like, hey, let's play games together. I'm like, fine. You're not touching my other elite. Mm-mm. You can get your greasy fingers away from my elite controller. It's just tucked away in its case. I I did take it out to make sure everything worked because that'd be that's one of the worst things you could ever do. Is like I want to like something that you're going to be using at some point. Test it right away because if you wait, the return period will be over and you'll be screwed. So, that's a, a dumb thing I own, but I love the Elite controller. Of all the things, when I, I, I really hope, and I, I'm assuming it'll be the case with Xbox at the very least, uh, the thing I want more than anything disregarding backward compatibility with games is hardware backward compatibility with controllers, if nothing else, because the idea that Xbox... Uh, Sony with PlayStation um, could release new consoles and that our old controllers won't work like has always been the case as far as I can I I think the Wii U I mean because it had Wii functionality let you use uh, Wii controllers and also had the uh, GameCube adapter but I just I I can't imagine how awful it'll feel if I cannot take my Elite controller with me. If I have to buy a new Elite controller for Xbox One, Two, Switch, I don't know. But uh, that's something I really hope ends up being the case because I, I really I love the Elite controller so much. I love how heavy it feels. I, I I'm also another reason why I bought a second one is because I've heard rumors that they'll be doing a revision of it and instead of it being double a batteries it'll be an internal battery i hate that i will die on that hill all the time uh i've gotten in plenty of arguments where i'm the only voice for double a batteries but i prefer that so much more i don't like being tethered when the battery dies and while the I think I've said this recently too, but I, yeah, sure. While the Switch Pro controller has a really great battery in it with great battery life, the DualShock 4 is garbage. 
I hate that thing so much. I, I don't like the way it feels, but I also hate the battery. But that's not important. What's important is what I've been playing. Kind of, I guess. It's nothing special. I've dabbled in a lot of games. Mostly... Mercenary Kings? <laughs> I don't know what the hell I was saying there. But I've been playing Mercenary Kings again. Uh, after it went on sale as part of the big Xbox Ultimate Games sale, which is still ongoing for another week and has some really great deals in it, like Hellblade for 18 bucks and two bundles from Bethesda, which are Doom plus Wolfenstein 2 for 26 and then Dishonored plus Dishonored 2 plus Prey for 26 as well. Those are all uh, great deals that are worth checking out and picking up. Um, but I've been playing Mercenary Kings again on the third platform I own it on, and I still really enjoy that game in spite of itself. And uh, I mean, it's an incredibly repetitive game that throws you on, into missions in the same environment, and you're not doing the most interesting things. But I love the visuals. I love the the grind of it all, and collecting resources, and upgrading my weapons, and changing my weapons, and customizing all that crap. I enjoy that loop. Uh, but it's not a great game by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I, I, I'm enjoying my time with it. It's a good game to drop in and play for 10, 15 minutes and then leave. It's, it's a great game that you can just pick up and play. I'm not sure if it's on Switch, but it would be great on Switch. And I'm sure it would look uh, fantastic in handheld mode. But then other than that, I've just thrown in games here and there like Fight Night Champion which is a 360 game that still looks amazing. I, I booted that up, and I was like, oh, this looks great. And that's also on sale for $10. Uh, it's not Xbox One X Enhanced. I think it just holds up really well because games like that, which uh, fighting games that don't have a lot of resources to deal with, just your character models, and then a handful of environments. And with a boxing game, the environments are not all that different. It's like, oh, are the rope's different. Uh, maybe the, the background's a little bit different, but it's all still in a ring. Uh, so those games still look great, and it feels pretty good. And given that there's no boxing game on the current-gen platforms that I can think of at all, uh, it's it's a, a good game to pick up if you're a fan of boxing. And nice that it's backward compatible. I, I love that the, the whole backward compatibility thing of Xbox very much. Then I also played a little bit of Doom, went back to that, and it's been really long, but I really long since I played it, but picked it up and it felt great immediately. That is just a great feeling shooter, and there are so many little design choices in the game that were made that really make it make the flow of it just work. Uh, the one that immediately comes to mind is the fact that you never have to reload your guns. Whoever said, hey, you know what, let's just, we don't need to worry about that. That's just going to get in the way of everything. Uh, it's great. And I can't remember if you had to reload your guns in the original Doom. So that may just be something they decided to keep from the classic games. It's been so long and my memory of them is foggy because I, I just bunch at all those classic FPS games together, Duke Nukem. Uh, Doom, Wolfenstein, etc. Even stuff like Zero Tolerance or I think, what was it? Tech War? Which I believe starred William Shatner 
and I had as part of some kind of, I don't know if I had the full game, but I had it as part of some like PC demo disc, I believe. And I remember just starting, I, I really liked, I, I can't remember if it's exactly called Tech War, but I just remember loving that thing. Uh, but yeah, all those classic FPS games blur for me. They blur together. And Zero Tolerance, I did, it was probably on PC, because it'd be weird if it was only on Genesis, but that's where I played it. I remember picking it up in a Funkoland that was just about to go out of business. They had like a, a bargain bin thing, and sticking out, because it's one of those tall cartridges, was this game called Zero Tolerance for like, I don't know, maybe $2? And, you know, I think there's like a guy with a gun on there. And I'm like, what is this? And then I bought it. I brought it home. I'm like, oh, this is a first-person shooter on Genesis. I don't know how many there are of those. This is weird. I don't, it's not that great. It's not that bad. Maybe it is bad. It's been a while since I've played Zero Tolerance. But, uh, yeah. So, Doom. I play that. Then I, I did throw in... Uh, pinball arcade just to see if the pro thing that I mentioned before was actually a thing. It is not. I don't know if I'm losing my mind though because I'm pretty sure I just I, I loaded tables that the pro options were there before and they're not there anymore. So I don't know what's going on. I think you should just take everything I say with a grain of salt. And when I say that, what I mean is don't trust any word that ever comes out of my mouth because it's all fucking garbage. I played some Super Blackjack Battle 2 Turbo Edition, which just came out or is just about to come out. I'm playing on an Xbox One. I'm not sure what other platforms it is on, but it is basically Street Fighter 2 uh, with Blackjack instead of punching and kicking and Haruken. So if that sounds interesting or something you'd want to play, you can check it out. But I think... Even if that does sound somewhat interesting, you might be a little bit let down, like myself when I played it. Because I enjoy Blackjack, and I like the idea of having a card game where you're battling against another person. But given the whole Street Fighter vibe it has going for it, and it's just, it's so ridiculously Street Fighter. Even the, the opening cinematic is the whole flashing light, and you know the guy just kind of juking back and forth ever so slightly until he hadoukens a set of cards into your face and then the way the single player is set up is with the whole world map and then you fly to different cities and battle against different opponents but none of the opponents have any kind of abilities there's nothing different between them other than they look different and you're just playing straight blackjack unless I'm missing something I didn't see anywhere like they have different taunts I guess but the taunts don't do anything, so you're just playing blackjack. Uh, the matches are set up with 10 rounds, so you bet however much you want to bet. You both start with the same amount of money, and then whoever has the most money at the end of the 10 rounds wins. And if you lose all your money before the 10 rounds are over, you automatically die and you lose. And that's it. There's also a straight blackjack mode where you can play against the dealer, or just really try to rack up as much money as you can by yourself. And they still have the round thing. It's like round one, round two. Uh, but that's not all that fun. And there's no kind of uh, carryover, any kind of progression. You always start over from the beginning. You're not 
building up a bank of a lot of money like you do in more traditional casino based blackjack games and then there is a party mode that I don't know if it can only be played with one controller but it was weird and I'm not it just seemed like it would be very very tedious to play with a group of four so that ended up being a pretty big disappointment because I was super excited about it. I'm always excited about anything that involves cards and throwing in different types of mechanics potentially in them. Uh, one of my all-time favorite games is Fairway Solitaire because it added this golf mechanic kind of to Pyramid Solitaire, which I love. Um, but yeah, Super Blackjack, Blackjack Battle 2 Turbo Edition is just kind of meh. Uh, the art's okay, but I wish there was more to the blackjack than just blackjack. Uh, given that it's got no real personality or anything to it, it just kind of comes and goes, and then you blow it out your nose, and then you clean up the snot with a hose, and plant a rose, and then you sniff that rose with your nose, and you go, holy mose is... That smells good. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. I played a little bit of the F1 racing games, both 2016 and 2017. Uh, 2017 seems like it's a nice improvement over 2016 in that I feel like, with my limited time with both, that there were more options to make it a bit more newcomer-friendly with assists and whatnot, but I could be completely wrong in that sense. But... The one thing that is true in both games is that I am terrible at F1 racing. And I'm terrible because I do not know the rules of F1 at all. So I am constantly doing things that are illegal. And I I think it's, there's something where it's like I illegally pass a car. And then it tells me I think that I have to get back behind that car in a small amount of time, a small time frame. And I don't do that. And then it's like, well, you've just been penalized a few seconds. You gain a place, but you lost some time. And I'm like, okay, uh, is that what's happening? I'm not sure because neither game has any kind of tutorial that teaches you the way F1 works. It, they're both, I mean, it's a very simmy franchise. And that's a bit foreign to me. The most simmy game I really play is Forza Motorsport. But that is still fairly casual, I'd say. Um... But I am actually interested in getting into it and learning uh, F1 and all that. But I think I'm going to have to do that outside of the game because I don't see anywhere in the game to teach me the way everything works. It's like, okay, you can't do this, you can't do that, unless I just have to do uh, learn it via trial and error, which seems like I would just rather, you know, watch an actual race and maybe watch some YouTube things or whatever. Uh, read up on it but they feel great and there's something about it even though I'm not good at it that I do find enjoyable despite not traditionally like simulator. I think part of it is just that control wise and all that they feel really really good when I play something simi like dirt rally I can't stand it and I really appreciate dirt 4 which is basically dirt rally but much more user-friendly it has a lot more of assist and ways of making the game uh, not so ridiculously frustrating uh, 
but I've enjoyed the time I've put into the F1 games despite being terrible at them. And then other than that, I've thrown... <laughs> I played one uh, race of Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transform. That game could definitely use... Uh, it would be helped, it would benefit by a X-enhanced update. And yeah, Rainbow Six Siege. I can't remember if I talked about that, but... um. Played a little smattering of that here and there every day or whatever, but uh, I still really like that game. I pr I, tradi I pretty much only play Lone Wolf Terrace Hunt because I love the Terrace Hunt mode. Uh, I love that back in the uh, Rainbow Six Vegas days, and I love it in Siege. I don't really venture online with strangers, and I've never really messed with the multiplayer because I just feel like in a, in a game like Siege that is very team orientated I don't have confidence in my not it's not my ability to find people to play with but just I don't have confidence in the matchmaking system and not finding or, or running into someone who's incredibly annoying I don't like people who are overly obnoxious with their leadershipness. <laughs> uh what am I trying to say I don't like people who are very pushy as leaders who are trying to tell you every like trying to control everything you do and not allowing you to have some uh, bit of freedom in your actions or like you no know, do this do this do this and if you do something like uh, and you maybe do make a mistake or whatever because everyone makes mistakes they get all up on your sh uh, your ass I don't want any of that if they get up all up on my ass I'm gonna poop on their 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 face and it might dribble into their mouth and nobody wants shit in their mouth I definitely don't uh, that's disgusting, I'm sorry uh, one more thing with gaming though is a bit of news that is very sad and I'm going to read just a smidgen of this article which is from Eurogamer uh, from Tom Phillips, their news editor layoffs at Onrush Dev Evo Drive Club director Rushi let go alongside a handful of senior staff the developer of Drive Club has been hit by layoffs after its latest game, Onrush, failed to set tills ringing. Drive Club and Onrush director Paul Rushy Roshinsky, the face of both games and of the studio itself, is among those let go. Multiple sources close to the studio have confirmed to Eurogamer, alongside other senior members of the team. Uh, so I'll, I'll post this in the, the post. I'll link to this in the post. But this is just really sad news because I've recently talked about Onrush, as you all have heard. And I really, really love that game. I love that it's not a traditional racer, that it's something different in the racing genre. That it's a game anyone can pick up and play and feel like they're accomplishing something, that they're contributing to the team. And that it's not all about placing in the top three, but really placing in first place. Because, you know, if you're not first, you're last. You're not first, you're last. But, um... This is really sad, and it got me thinking as to why this is the case. And part of it is like, oh, if it released on PC, uh, there's a PC version that it was in the works that I'm assuming is most definitely now not coming out. But if it came out on PC along the console launch, would that one have sold copies and found it on it? I don't know. But it just got me thinking with this generation where I feel like a lot of, you see a lot more of this where games fail to find an audience, that maybe this whole and i felt like this for a while though but maybe this whole 
games as a service model has really hurt a lot of other games. You are still able to, and games as a service games like Fortnite or Siege or Destiny or what have you, um, Overwatch. Um, you still see games of triple A ness that are of uh, well known franchises and whatnot doing well, and games outside as, can do well as well uh, as well as well. Um, whatever. I I gave up on trying to find an alternative to that, but like God of War can sell incredibly well, and you know Horizon and Far Cry Five and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I didn't need the multiple et ceteras. I hate, I hate that I just did that. But there's no going back. But those games, I think, in part, can find an audience. Or, 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 in addition to being a well-known franchise and a well-known name and all that, I think there's something about narrative-based games that you know have a definitive end. Sure, you can trail off and do side missions in God of War or Far Cry, but there is a story, there is a path, you can reach the end of that path and then feel like you're done with the game even though there's other crap you can do, but you can you can follow that path, maybe trail off here and there, but mostly follow the main path, finish the game, and then move on to another game or go back to your games as a service game, the, the game you focus on. But something like Onrush just doesn't make a mark at all. And it it sucks when this happens regardless of whether the game is great or not. Layoffs suck. But when the game is great and is doing something a bit different like Onrush, it, it especially sucks because what could there be done? I don't think there was a huge marketing budget and a marketing push behind Onrush. I don't remember seeing all that much about it. Uh, so that could be part of the problem. But I I just feel like all these games as a service things really make it so a lot of people are playing only one game and nothing else. You know, they might venture all, out, outside of their, their main game here and there to play stuff like God of War. But for the most part, they're just going to be like, Fortnite's my game, that's what I play. Minecraft is my game. That's what I play. Siege is my game. That's what I play. That's all I play. And it's hurting a lot of games and uh, keeping on it. Like, I look at Onrush and I think, okay, if 1% of the Fortnite audience stopped playing Fortnite and picked up Onrush, it would be a success. It would have been a success. And it sucks that you have such a like a, a minute part of one game's audience could save another game uh, or even questioning the price tag and, and it's weird saying that maybe they should have devalued their game somewhat but I don't know how many copies Onrush sold I would guess that 100,000 copies is very very high of an estimate and then it probably didn't even reach that but say it sold a hundred thousand copies at sixty dollars if they charge forty would it have sold a million copies who knows uh that would be a, a drastic uh hike in profits you know you're not including all the like you know paying off publishers and uh all that you know all the various fees or whatever um 
but that would be the difference between 6 million and 40 million. So that would be a huge thing, but you can't, you can't, there's no way to know if that would make any difference. It could sell the same exact amount of copies at 40 and then you're just losing money. So there's the, that's a gamble that you have to really think about. Um, but it just, it just sucks because this is happening a lot with games that just fail to find an audience. And even uh, one game that I remember seeing, and I'm uh, bring this up from auto, uh, the auto age steam page. One of their discussions is about, is there an audience is the multiplayer live for this game, which is a car combat game. And in one of the posts about whether or not there is a multiplayer, the developer replies to a comment and he says, thanks for the comments. We've always had a small audience. Wish it were otherwise. We did everything we could afford to do, including giving away a hundred thousand, one, not 150,000, 150,000 keys over the winter holidays via the Yogg's cast jingle jam. I don't know what the hell that is, but they had a good percentage of installs from that but no noticeable impact on online play. And it, that is just a thing where it's like, I guess people installed it and tried it and like, well, I'm just going to stick with whatever I've been playing. But like when a game can give away 150,000 copies and it does nothing for the, the player race, it just, it sucks. And it, it makes me just wonder like what, what can be done. Uh, and I wish there was some way to also know the real reasons. Like, why did Onrush fail? Is it because there wasn't a big marketing budget? Is it because, like, I, I wonder the people who do play Fortnite and Siege and all these things, do they venture out more than I think they do with other games? Or do they not? Would it have benefited to have a demo right at launch? Because there's a trial on Xbox One, but that came out a month or a little longer after launch. Yeah, there was the beta, but I missed the beta because I was at first thinking it was closed and maybe it was closed at first and then it opened up, but I didn't even know it opened up. No one, no one told me. So I missed out on that. And then I wasn't able to play it again until the trial, which I then fell in love with, but that was a little bit, uh, too little, too late for everyone. Uh, cause I see that. And I'm like, well, it's been so long and the game's not doing that well so i don't know if the game is going to be supported and get can uh continue to be updated and it's probably going to be on sale at some point soon so i'm just going to wait to pick it up um but if i had played it before launch or at launch if that if the trial was available right away i would have bought it right there and then so i don't know i don't know it's all sad I feel like I, I really needed to collect my thoughts a bit better. I don't I don't feel great about how that entire thing went down. What I just said is what I'm saying is that you know being dyslexic affects reading, but it also affects speech and just trying to collect thoughts in my head. And that that's a sucky part about dyslexia that I don't I don't think it affects everyone who has dyslexia. And it affects them to different points and you know it sometimes can affect my speech and lead to stammering at times I, I do my best to avoid all that 
but it, it can be frustrating because I feel like it makes me sound stupid. I don't like that. This just got super fucking depressing. Anyway, Onrush, is, it's a sad situation, and I I feel like this is definitely the the nail, the final nail in the coffin, and that there's no turnaround. There's not like they're not gonna suddenly get a spike in sales and everything's gonna turn around. They're gonna rehire the, the the staff they let go and what it means to the studio as a whole is, is that studio just gonna die uh in general because i mean they got rid of a lot of senior staff so what the hell are they gonna be merged with another studio uh i don't know we will wait and see but that's it for game news and whatnot i also watched this past weekend, The Toys That Made Us, which is the Netflix documentary series about the toys that made us. So it's a four-part, well, there are two seasons, both broken in down into four episodes apiece. I guess they're coming out with the third season that I didn't know was announced, and that Ninja Turtles are finally going to be part of that season, unless my friend was lying to me, in which case I'm going to beat the ever-living piss out of him. I'm going to murder him. I'm going to murder him so hard. But the first two seasons follow, let's see, Star Wars, Star Trek, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Hello Kitty, Barbie, Lego, and He-Man. And I thought the series was good but not great. There are a lot of issues I have with the series. The first one being the narrator is incredibly annoying. I hate his voice. I hate the way he talks. He rem- I couldn't put my finger on it at first, but I feel like he's going for a Ron Howard from Arrested Development sound, but trying to be a little bit more upbeat and have a little bit more personality and just throw in these stupid jokes that are never funny. And I just, every time he opens his mouth, I I just want him to shut up immediately. And then in addition to that, I think every single episode is poorly edited. And I think they try to make things funny and it doesn't work. And they linger on things and rehash certain jokes that just don't work at all for me. And I just wish it was a bit more, I wish it was a bit more, fact-based and just like just just give me all the details because some of this stuff is really interesting but when you try and turn this little part of the interview or something that you some of the information you've learned into a running joke it doesn't work you can't just make something into a running joke just because you want to it's not going to work then with the translation with the hello kitty and transformers episodes the the voices they use for the translators for some of these people because they'll pick different voices are weird and they don't seem to really fit the people who are talking there was this one guy in the transformers bit who they gave like a really deep weird sounding guy uh male voice to and i was like what is this this is weird the theme music is terrible it is one of the series that i can't i i I'm I'm satiating, waiting for the skip intro button to pop up. It is like, oh, God, let me press it. And when I press it, I'm like, oh, that felt so good. But it still gives you like a few seconds after like. Um, the He-Man episode, 
I never liked He-Man. I always thought it was stupid. And the He-Man episode made me hate He-Man. I hate him now and the people who created him because I think they just threw shit at the wall and it just seemed like a bunch of douchebags. But that that's not against the series. That was like informative. I, I do think there's a lot of good information and interesting things within the toys that made us. But I didn't think this the episodes were as well edited as they could have been. I think the narrator is shitty. And despite all the negatives, though, I, I still think it's worth checking out if you're into all that kind of stuff. Um... I do wonder if I'm going like because I'm not super into a lot of the toys that were in any of these episodes. I love Lego. I love Lego, and there were some interesting bits in there. But still, they they feel very uh, on the surface. They don't feel like they dive that deep, and probably because it's what forty five ish minutes spent on a toy that is on multiple toys that have been around for you know 50 plus years uh, in many cases so they can only do so much with that time but i'm i'm very curious to see how the, the ninja turtle ones goes being that i'm a huge ninja turtle fan so you can see all the turtle crap you can't see all of it you can see some of the turtle crap in my room and of course i have ninja turtle tattoo which the fucking dumbass tattoo whatever though uh but yeah the toys that made us it's it's all right but i'm not nearly as in love with it as other people then other than that watch some movies i I watched bang the drum slowly which is a baseball movie with robert de niro and other people and it's it has its baseball elements to it but it is very much so a movie about a friendship where one friend finds out the other friend is dying and then tries to give him the best possible life he can with what life he has left. And it's a it's a sweet little story about friendship. And I would recommend checking it out. It's not streaming anywhere as far as I know and is only available on DVD, no Blu-ray. So I got it from my local library, which is always nice. And if you have a, a, a nice local library, you can check it out there. Of course, you could probably rent it on Amazon, iTunes, those kind of things. But uh, I also watched Streets of Fire, which I finally picked up. And the weird thing is I saw on Netflix that I apparently rented it uh, back in 2009 and gave it three stars. I would probably give it four stars now because it is a very enjoyable little rock and roll uh, tale. Of It's like you throw in a little bit of rock and roll and some musical performances mixed with the Warriors, kind of. And you got that. Some good action. Some fantastic music. I've listened to the opening song, Nowhere Fast, far too many times. And I love it so very, very much. Uh, very young Diane Lane and Willem Dafoe in it. And a lot more recognizable actors as well. But um, it's a, it's a fun little movie. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm losing steam here, so I think it's time to end this episode of the Pixelated Sausage Podcast. Fun fact, this is about the tenth time I started recording this episode, which is God almighty. I, I feel like given that and everything, this turned out as well as it could have. So I'm now 
going to really end it and say, my name is Mark Christmas. I was like, I'm not saying bye-bye yet. I haven't done any of the plugs. What am I doing? Once again, I'm your host, Mark Nez. Y'all can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Xbox Live, my on my list, Steam, Twitch, and all the usual places at PX Sausage on PSN. I'm the Kush 3, but maybe not for that much longer because apparently there's whatever beta going out soon for the 6.0 firmware update for PlayStation 4, and that has wording or something in it about changing your name. And if that really is true, I'm going to be a very happy camper because I hate my name. I hate this one relic I still have to the, the whole Kush thing, which was a nickname I had for so long because it's uh, very similar to the pronunciation of my last name. And then far too late in life, when I was much older than I should have been to finally realize it, I realized what Kush meant. And I was like, no, I don't want to be tied to this anymore. If I want to be taken somewhat professional, I should be tied to sausage instead of Kush. So that's what I did. And hopefully I'll be able to, you know, tie myself to some sausage on PSN as well. The site is, of course, pixelatedsausage.com, where you can find this podcast and the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast, which are both available on podcast services across the globe, like Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to check out the art I do, you should go over to pxsart.com and check it all out over there. And if you see any picture you fancy, you can go and click a little link and purchase a print. And if you'd like to support the site and everything we do over here at Pixelated Sausage, you can support us over at patreon.com slash pxs. Or you cannot. I don't care. That's fine. I really don't care. It is what it is. Um, and that will do it for this episode. Okay? Okay. <laughs>